0: And it's so hard for us to be honest. And so the world around us looks in on that and goes, you're a joke.
1: Welcome to Better Together with Kosti Epifonsive, a podcast on parenting, business, and living life intentionally. We're here every week to bring you thoughtful conversation on making your own path to success, challenging the status quo, and finding all the ways we're better together. Here's your host, Kosti Epifonsive. Hey guys, this is Costa, and today I'm here with my guest, Justin Grant, and we are talking about losing faith and the future of religion. Justin is a pastor who has worked in ministry for over 10 years this October. He's a native of Middle Tennessee, who during his free time also moonlights as a jujitsu master.
0: Master at uh, knowing my frailty and master at uh, getting my ego dashed over and over and over.
1: I love that. So let me ask you just to start off. Have you ever taken a knee or a fist to the face as you're grappling or rolling and then you're just like, oh man, do I want to keep doing this? And what, what makes you keep coming back?
0: It's just one person, and I don't know that i ever rolled with him ever again. And it was actually just maybe a month ago uh, I got my shoulder broken a month into it. You know, so that was a thing. The doctor said take six months off. I took six weeks off. I figured that that was, you know, it's it's at least ten percent. You know, I gave them what I could, and then I broke my other shoulder, but that wasn't that bad. And then about a month ago, I was trying to pass some kid's guard, and he need me in the face, and I got my first big bloody nose, and got a bloody nose the next time, and then the next time, and then next time. And I'm just now starting to like, Oh no, no blood this time. So black eyes as well? Uh, Yeah, a, a couple of them. But it's, I've got bruises all over my arms. You know, I, you know, I wear a T-shirt. People are like, oh my God, what happened to you? I'm like, oh no, that was my friend. Did that. And you kind of start feeling like you're in an abusive relationship. Like, I promise they're not like this all the time kind of thing.
1: So you're up there, you're pastoring with like two black eyes, like bandaged all over your face. And I
0: try to communicate that of like, I didn't get in a fight. You know, there was no bar room incident or anything like this. Everybody in our community knows that I do jujitsu. And I try not to talk about it all the time, even though secretly I kind of do want to talk about it, but yeah, you know, it's fun. You know,
1: right, people- I did it. I did it for like two years in Nashville, and I had to stop because my boss. He said, "Like, look, you can either sell Range Rovers to customers, or you can go and get black eyes and you know get beat up. I broke my foot, so yeah. I mean, it's a violent endeavor,
0: and it's called the gentle art, which is hysterical.
1: Well, once you get good at it, um, the you kind of start to feel the flow, you know, and everything slows down around you, and you're kind of moving your arms. A little bit of a slower pace, you know. Before you're just like going a hundred miles an hour, like breathing heavy, like sweating, you know, like a pound of water, and you're just thinking, like, oh my
0: gosh, you know. It's only been five minutes. It feels like I've been here an hour. Yeah, exactly.
1: Justin, ten years is a long time to do the same job. Most people didn't even have an iPhone when you started working in the church. What is it like to dedicate your life to this endeavor?
0: It's kind of interesting because you you do it for. People. I I don't know that anybody would ever volunteer for the price that you get paid. I'm sure people make a lot of money doing it, but not, you know, I don't. So you big mega churches. Yeah, exactly. You dedicate it to the group of people and you fall in love with a family. And so just the same way with like your wife and your kids, what wouldn't you do for them? And then you have to arrange your life in a in a way that you can you can have some longevity that you know, like you might rob a bank for your family, but You can't do that and be a a provider for generations. So it's definitely it's loving a group of people and then finding those healthy boundaries to be able to say, I'm loving you in a way that I can continue to love you for the next foreseeable future without wearing myself out, without being a toxic nightmare to myself or to you so that you provide a group of people, the not, not spiritual health, not mental health, but the opportunity or the resources for people to better themselves and to grow deeper inside. And so once you see those light bulbs pop on on, on some people, it's like, oh, it's all worth it. Now, there there's tons of times where you're like crying in the corner, but
1: so you give people like a way out. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's one of the, you know, I I was listening to a few of your sermons uh, online and, and and they were really good by the way, but one of the things that I noticed is you're constantly, at least the ones that I've listened to, preaching the idea that there is a way out of whatever you might feel like you're going through. Sure, yeah. And that, you know, through the support of your community and, you know, obviously the, your church community, you can get to the other side of it. And I think in, in today's times, that's something that's so important because there's a lot of people out there that are struggling and they're not struggling with things that we've really even been presented with. I mean, new challenging environments, day to day things that we've never faced
0: as a society, or at least never been been honest about it. True. Yeah, so true. when you start dealing with things in the in the public light, it's like, oh, how do we do how do we deal with this? How do we how do we engage with this? And it's difficult sometimes. Absolutely.
1: On that point, as of today, we're recording this episode late April 2021, 30% of Americans have received their first COVID vaccine, and we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know it's been a long year. What does the future of the church look like? Post-pandemic, especially now that technology is playing such a large role in letting people meet virtually instead of in person, does that change the way that you preach? And is it hard to effectively deliver that message to people?
0: Yeah. So before we had cars, we led life a certain way, and then after, you know, uh, industrial revolution it changes things before the agricultural revolution, things change. And so I don't think any technology uh, virus culture shift ever is the before times or the after times. It's just like, okay, well, how how does our culture, how does our family engage with this change? Because change will happen regardless. Sometimes it's big change. Sometimes it's little change. But once we hit this, people just started reeling. And then we had to come up with an idea of like, all right, how do we engage with technology? Because none of us are experts at it. And we did it really poorly. For a long time and, and arguably we're still not good at it at all. But you, you adapt and go, okay, well, what can we do? So the people that are at home, like, okay, how do you engage with the community around you when you're at home? The people that are out in public, how do you engage with the people that are out in public? And you just got to stay flexible and figure out what people need, what's going to be useful for them and just work your tail off at trying to get as many resources to those people with the understanding I'm never going to be able to nail it. 100% of the time. But what can I do with what I have then to be able to be able to help and then research about what we can do later. So as people are home engaging online, the whole idea of a church community or church family is not necessarily about the teaching, it's not about the music, it's about the the camaraderie and if our family is limited to only being able to meet, only on Sunday mornings, only at a specific window of time, well, we are grossly immature. And those skills don't apply to the entire world because, you know, what happens when you live out in the middle of nowhere and you can't engage Technology has given us the ability to engage online pitfalls people engage with you know weirdos online and that they don't need to but as you as you get better at the technology as you get better at the live streaming it's how do I adapt the skills that I already have to this new set of circumstances and long story short it's difficult but you got to find a way
1: were you scared when this when when this happened in March of 2020? I mean, when you met with, you know, the leaders of your church and you started to talk about what the future was, you know, what it was going to look like. I mean, were you were you guys scared?
0: Uh, no, um, because like I know our family. And our family's going to persevere. Like, this is not the the worst thing that we've dealt with recently. So it's like, eh, we, we can deal with this. This is not a, this is not a terrifying thing. It's different. We've never had to do this before, but there was never anything in the pandemic that I thought was dangerous enough to shipwreck us. Did you guys lose members or have you gained members? Um, as people stop engaging one-on-one, if you don't adapt to that new skill set, you just kind of drift apart. I mean you know, friendships are like that. You Absolutely. Know, before the the nightmare of Facebook, you know, you, you're really connected to people in college. It's like, I love you guys. I'm going to stay best friends with you for the rest <laughs> of my life. And then once you're not around them, you just drift apart. And so if you let yourself drift apart from community, you drift apart from community. But I've got friends in Louisiana that are now able to engage, you know, in some form with our culture in Tennessee that we've never had before. So yeah, you know, some people drift away and then some people figure out new ways to engage. So
1: what do you think is the biggest challenge facing organized religion today?
0: I think we've got, we've got a handful of things that we need to take care of that are pretty intense and pretty scary things to to tackle that we've done a really poor job at examining ourselves. I think the church as a whole has done a killer job at examining everybody else and telling everybody else what they're doing wrong. We don't do a good job at, at self-reflection. I think the number one thing, at least in our community, I've never lived in New York. I don't know what church life is like in LA, but at least in the area, the thing that kills us over and over and over is that we just don't do authentic life really well. We have a hard time being honest with the things that we struggle with. We have a hard time being honest with the things that we're good at. Because in the South, we have this whole weird false humility that I'm not allowed to say that I'm good at anything because it feels wrong, feels prideful. Um, And we definitely don't talk about the things that we're actually bad at. I might be able to say like, well, I lost my temper last week. And that's socially acceptable, but nobody's allowed to talk about like some pretty intense struggles or the fact that, hey, we've not even remotely addressed the issues that we have with racism in the church. Like you look around in our church, they all look like guys. They're all white. They all come from a bracket of whatever socioeconomic platform that we're on. And we we don't even start addressing the fact that like, hey, we do a bad job at communicating to other people because we would prefer to have like the cookie cutter. Everything looks nice. I got my suit. I got my tie on. Everything's perfect. How are you doing today? Well, I'm blessed and highly favored. It's like, well, you beat your wife at night, man. And it's so hard for us to be honest. And so the world around us looks in on that and goes, you're a joke. Cause like I can list off top 10 things that you're messing up today that you don't even realize. So the rest of the people in their life goes, well, you can't help me with anything I got going on. Cause you're not even on, you're not even beginning to have the conversation about improving yourself. So they bounce on without us.
1: I mean, the fact that you are being so honest and transparent gives me, honestly, this is probably the first conversation that I've had with someone of faith that I feel like, oh, wow, like they're actually talking about their experience relative to how it affects the rest of the people that they preach
0: uh, or the their flock. Sorry. In- insert adjective there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> congregation. Yeah. Flock. Whatever. Yeah. Friends.
1: Yeah. Got it. That's what's always affected me because granted, you know, I was, I'm from Russia. My parents didn't grow up in a religious country under communism. You know, we didn't practice religion. So we never really had an opportunity, nor did we really understand or want uh, to understand uh, what religion was. And I grew up in Atlanta, you know, which was a a pretty religious place. But the hypocrisy is something that stems back to, I mean, you know, the 1300s, you know, with the Holy Roman Empire and the Catholic Church. So um, just the fact that people and leaders such as yourself that are taking on this this challenge of continuing to preach the message of Christ is, and do it with a way of knowing that you are human and and being transparent is, gosh, I mean, I got to say, that's probably the best thing that I've heard in my entire life.
0: So it's so sad that like, it's such a low bar, just To be you, it seems like such a crazy thing because why would you not be? And the honest thing is like, well, it's hard. You gotta be vulnerable in in front of people. And when when you mess up, I was saying last night, when I read, I stutter sometimes because my brain's going a thousand miles an hour and I just, get, I get stuck on some words. Well, as a public speaker, it's really embarrassing to be in front of a bunch of people. And like, uh, 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 uh. Yes. But my friends know me and not once has any of my friends give me given me a hard time over stumbling over my words. So if they trust me well enough to put me on stage in front of a microphone and I stutter, they're probably going to give me some grace on the other areas of my life that they're probably dealing with too. So like, yeah, you step out and you, you show a little bit of your honesty and the community around you is supportive and welcoming and protective. You know, they're not flashing your dirty laundry everywhere. It lets you be a little bit more honest and a little bit more honest. That's the community that I'm in. And so I don't know another way to do faith. I don't know another way to do religion except by just being honest.
1: I love that. To that point, you know, it's such a divisive time in our country uh, and better yet, even in the world. Um, How do you disciple to those who disagree with your ideology uh, or may not believe in the same things that you believe? Well,
0: I don't know that there's anybody that I do agree with. Like half the time, I, I have a hard time agreeing with the person in the mirror. So to assume that everybody that I'm talking to believes the same thing that I do is just lunacy. Most of the people that I... That I hang out with, most of my friends don't go to church. If they do believe in God, it's you know kind of nominally. Yeah, of course I'm a Christian. There might be something out there, but I hang out with a lot of professing believers at church, but not outside of church. And and I didn't grow up in church, so the idea that you know people think that what I put my faith in is no different than the way we talk about the tooth fairy. Well, yeah, of course people will look at scripture and go, well, you're ridiculous. And so I don't assume that somebody is going to agree with me or think like me. And so when you start off with that, it's easier to have a more honest relationship and if I can get my little hooks out of people and stop trying to manipulate or trying to, to use manipulative tactics, I don't need you to agree with me. I don't need you to believe like me. I mean, I, I do need people to agree that uh, Diet Dr. Pepper is the best soda out there. Aside from <laughs> that, we, we can disagree with, about a lot of stuff and especially with all the political stuff that is being ramrodded at us 24 hours a day. Some of the best people in my life vote for people that have I would never vote for. And they're amazing, loving, genuine people. And I've got to be able to deal with the cognitive dissonance on somebody that I love thinks differently than I do. Well, if I can't do that, I I need to go get a different profession. So I would say, how do you disciple somebody that disagrees with you? Everybody disagrees with everybody and you've got to be okay with it because the alternative is ridiculous and it keeps us on this same self-destructive cycle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's awful. What what we have done to communication, to families, to communities, to friendships, just because we can't go, yeah, I see things differently than you without going and getting my torches and my pitchforks and trying to storm your castle.
1: You know, just not to take it too far into politics, but nowadays you can't be an independent or you can't be because you, because then you're not, you're not serious enough. You know, you have to pick a side. And if you're too moderate, then, you know, you're playing, you're playing favor on both ends. You know, you have to be a radical. And if you believe one party's message, then you have to believe all of it. I don't know. You know, I think of when we were in high school, I think you and I are about same age.
0: 37. Yeah.
1: So 31. So pretty close. Thank you. Yeah. It's just like we were in this world of, we were just like in this innocent world. Sure. Yeah. Even though in high school, it felt like we were being exposed to all new things and crazy things. And I was having this thought today. And as soon as you left high school, you're thrust into this world where it's like, what side are you on? Pick a side. Where are you going? Who? What now? What? And if you pick the wrong side because you were forced into it, you're just kind of like, I Yes, this is who I need to become. You know, and it's it's exhausting
0: because you can't ever change your mind about anything. You're never allowed to look at your belief system. I mean, politics, yeah, but even in like sports teams, you're never allowed to go. "Eh, I'm feeling different. I I think different things than I thought 30 years ago. But now you got to believe the same thing for 80 years, or else you're a hypocrite. It's like, come on. Exactly.
1: (laughs) I love that, man. That's that's exactly how I feel. So, according to a Gallup poll, and this is. This is a pretty important question. In March of 2021, only 36% of millennials, so millennials are people born between 1981 and 1996, in the U.S., participate in organized religion. So there's 72 million millennials in this country. That means that only 26 million people participate in organized religion. How does the church contend with the large majority of the next generations disassociating from traditional religious practices.
0: So assume that you're the owner of a gym. It is not, I don't know who owns Planet Fitness, but it's not Planet Fitness's job to make everybody healthy. It it is Planet Fitness's job to provide a resource and an opportunity for people to engage in if, if they want to. Um, they don't have a secret police that they send around to everybody's door. And it's like, hey, you need to show up. I, I noticed that you weren't on your treadmill this week. It's not it's not their job to make people healthy. It's their job to provide a resource and hopefully clean equipment. And so as leaders of the church engaging in a progressively non-church community, we have to realize, well, these numbers have probably been accurate for a long time. And so we have a lot of people that have been engaged in our community that weren't a part of, let, let me rephrase, um, they've been engaged in our community, but maybe not believe the same things that we believed or believed the same things that we believe for the reasons that we believe. But because, you know, Southern culture, well, you've got to go to church. So we narrow the river down into everybody has to do this. And then when people behave differently, we're like, why in the world are you behaving like that? And so, well, Because they don't, they believe that you think that the God that, that created the universe is a tooth fairy or Santa Claus. Or. Well, I don't know if there's five-year-olds that are listening, but if we don't let people engage with the possibility that, hey, you might not believe like I believe, well, then I force them into obedience instead of belief. So as we engage with the community, we've got to be way more honest with like, hey, you're allowed to come hang out with us. You're allowed to, to belong before you believe. I hate alliteration, but you're allowed to engage in our community without having to believe everything that I believe or to practice Practice the same things that I, I practice with and to realize it's not my job to make everybody in Cookville believe the way that I believe. It's my job to get with my my family, my faith community, and to do what we can do with what we have. And if you like what we're doing, if you want to be involved with that, baby, come on. Like it's a great old party bus if you, if you want to get on. And if you want to get off at the next stop, go for it. Like I don't own anybody. Nobody belongs to me. It's not my job to make sure that you're obeying anything like that. So So if I see somebody in town that's behaving incorrectly, that is that is on your stuff. Um, Same reason why, like when I go to the gym, I'm not actually your forms a little incorrect. Nobody wants to be that guy. But in the church, we've been that guy of like, your squats aren't really right. Your feet are too close together. It's like, man, let people live their own life. And if I believe that there is a God behind the scenes, loving on people, orchestrating things, I have got to believe that the Holy Spirit is doing his job. It's not my job. I'm not the God of the universe. It's not my job to orchestrate all this stuff. I let him do his stuff and I do my stuff. What is my stuff? My job is just to love people.
1: Justin, you are... A very impressive person. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have to tell you that. So, I want to thank you um, for taking a few minutes to talk with me today. Your perspective, honesty, it's refreshing. I appreciate your openness on really what is a personal and difficult subject. We always like to end the show on a high note. Who's someone that makes you better when you're together?
0: Everybody. I would never be even close to the person that I am today without a massive amount of people in my life. That list is is way too many. Like everybody at my gym improves me. Everybody at my church improves me. Everybody in my circle of, of family, friends, all of those people influence the person that I am. And because I lean on them heavily, everybody, well, you know, maybe not the person that's going too slow in the Walmart parking lot, but aside from that. <laughs> (laughs) Everybody else, I am better because I am in a community.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Better Together with Costa Yep If you enjoyed listening and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review, or better yet, share this episode with a friend. Writing and production by Morgan Franklin. Want to find out more about Costa? Visit us at costayepafonso.com. We're better together.